You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. I'm Dr. Ward Bond, and I welcome you to Life-Changing Wellness. Today's episode is brought to you by PrimroseLeaf.com, multi-use nutritional supplements for your immune system and overall good health. Youth, beauty, longevity, primroseleaf.com. Now, before we begin, please head over to iTunes after the interview with my guest today, rate and review the show for me, and I thank you ahead of time for making our show great. Well, my guest this week is Dr. Greg Hammer, a pediatric intensive care physician, pediatric anesthesiologist, and professor of, at Stanford University Medical Center. And Dr. Hammer is a health enthusiast and mediator utilizing a non-duality and mindfulness-based approach, including the GAIN method. Dr. Hammer is the author of GAIN Without Pain, the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome our very esteemed guest today, Dr. Greg Hammer. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's great to be with you this morning. Well, I want to kind of kick it off because I want to learn more about the GAIN program. So what is this program called GAIN? GAIN is an acronym for what I consider to be the four pillars of presence and therefore happiness. And they are gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And I I really believe that... um, those four components are really essential for happiness. Well, let me ask you this because I noticed that the title of the book was the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals. How do you relate those four elements to and for healthcare professionals? I think those elements are really universal. So uh, this book was written with stories about taking care of patients, uh, whether it's by physicians, nurses, respiratory therapists, uh, social workers, et cetera. Just that the book has stories about the practice of medicine in various contexts. But the principles really, I think, uh, word are the same for all of us. And, uh, you know, if we kind of look at each one individually, gratitude, for example, I think, you know, we can be a person who's blind and happy or deaf and happy or poor and happy, but you can't imagine a person who's happy who's not grateful. I think gratitude is is at the core of, of joy and peace and happiness. Acceptance is another essential thing because life is full of pain and suffering as much as it is full of joy. And to resist things that make us uncomfortable or our unpleasant, painful experiences increases our suffering. In fact, I have a, a formula in the book, you know, medicine, we love formulas. So the formula <laughs> in question is suffering equals pain times resistance. So we have a pain, you know, the loss of a loved one, for example, the, the death of a patient, whatever. And if we resist that pain, the suffering is increased. Suffering equals pain times resistance. And and so in the GAIN method of uh, meditation and living in general, we actually practice opening our hearts to that which causes us pain and suffering, whether it's our personal 
pain and suffering or a global or historic pain and suffering. So, for example, I think that certainly right now around the globe, there's a lot of pain and suffering related to the pandemic. Uh, right now, you know, we hear stories of what's happening in India almost every day. And I think we all suffer from hearing about the, the pain and suffering that our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing. And I think there's a, a sort of a historic pain and suffering that emanates from how, how badly we've treated each other, uh, slavery, war, etc. So in, in the gain method, we sit, we, we actually, while we're doing our slow, intentional breathing with our eyes closed, we actually envision opening our hearts and bringing this pain and suffering closer and closer until we merge with it. And what we usually find is that it's not as bad as we imagined. And, and this acceptance, which might be the converse of resistance, decreases our suffering. The I in gain is intention. And John Kabat-Zinn, who is uh, really, I think, perhaps the the father or grandfather of what we call mindfulness practice defined it, and I'm paraphrasing, as awareness of the present moment on purpose, non judgmentally. And the on purpose means that we can use our intention to be more present, and happiness really dwells in the present moment. Uh, and I, I think there's two things about the way we think that make it challenging for us to be happy at least at times and, and they are one we have a negativity bias so we tend to remember negative experiences and uh, adhere to negative thoughts and kind of forget the positive ones and the other thing about the way we think that interferes with our happiness is that we have a fixation with the past and the future and i would say it's adaptive to be uh, thinking of the past when it comes to mistakes we've made from which we can learn. And of course, we want to relish our wonderful experiences that we've had with loved ones or out in nature, etc. So those are adaptive thoughts of the past. But beyond that, when we fixate on the past, we're usually combined with our negativity bias, feeling shame and regret and remorse. And likewise, with regard to the future, it's adaptive to look forward to good times and plan to put bread on the table. Beyond that, the future holds a lot of uncertainty. As Yogi Berra said, the future is hard to predict. So especially now during the pandemic, I think there is a lot of uncertainty about the future, although things are finally kind of coming into focus. Um, but that uncertainty breeds anxiety and fear, and, and we, we dwell on those thoughts excessively. And so using our intention, we can actually learn to rewire our brains. We can rewire the way we think. Our, our brains are adaptable. So there's something called neuroplasticity, which means our brains are uh, can be changed. The way we think can be changed if we're purposeful about it. And so there are lots of uh, areas of guidance for that in the book, for example. So that's the gratitude, acceptance, and intention and the N is for non-judgment, Ward, because as you know, we're always analyzing things in our environment and other people and ourselves. Yes. And uh, again, with the overlay of our negativity bias, we tend to judge people and elements in our environment negatively. So we're, we compare ourselves to other people negatively. We, we affix labels of good and bad to things. And 
this is really not productive. And if you learn to just see the world exactly as it is without terms such as good or bad, just exactly as things are, we didn't make them that way. We're not going to have a big impact on the way the world is. We can eventually learn to look at ourselves without judgment, which is perhaps the most challenging thing to do for most of us. So that those are the uh, gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment are the, are the four components of the academic game. Well, Dr. Hammer, let me ask you this. Why is it? And I've, and I've noticed this a lot with, uh, and I'm just going to say general population. Why is it that we lean more towards the negativity than just, you know, we all, you know, everybody's trying to tell us, you know, you know, be positive, stay positive. And, you know, and it's, and I know in the end it's a choice, but why is our, is it the internal wiring that uh, we lean more towards the negative? Is it just because of the inundation of 24 hour news, 24 hour stimulus, people hanging on to their smartphones and there's nothing positive coming through those things. Does it cause us to be negative when we, for a lot of people, for some people that maybe they're not a negative person, but we're getting inundated with this negativity on a daily basis. And now we're leaning towards that. That's a great question. Ward. I think the negative elements of the 24 hour news cycle most of what we, we hear on CNN or whatever our cable channel of choice is, is negative. You know, it has to do with suffering and war and natural disasters and the pandemic, of course. But I think that just inflames what is a basic hard wiring of negativity that we have. And, and I'm not a uh, psychologist of course, but what I, th- I think that may be related to the fact that uh, being somewhat negative and wary were at one point adaptive. And, and you know, I, I can imagine uh, early Homo sapiens, for example, um, living in uh, a cave and, and worrying about what lurks outside the mouth of the cave and the predators all about. So I think that focus on the future and what's the worst thing that can happen that sort of catastrophizing may have helped our forebears be prepared for something negative that was about to happen. Um, I, you know, that, that makes sense to me. That's kind of the way I look at it, whatever the cause it is, it does seem to be the way we're hardwired. I think that we're all very mystified and, uh, often have very, uh, you know, we tend to worry about our mortality, about our health, etc. So perhaps at one point there was something adaptive about that. But uh, most of us no longer have to worry about what's lurking at the mouth of the cave. You know, we live in a fairly <laughs> yeah. safe no environment. No to worry about. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> yeah. so we have things so much better now, and and yet we're still hardwired this way. But the good news is, you know, we have this quality called neuroplasticity, and if we apply our intention. In a, in a structured manner, um, we can actually re, rewire and change the way that we think. Well, you know, I, I love the way that you explained what GAIN stands for. And ladies and gentlemen, that's gratitude, that's acceptance, that's intention, and non-judgmental. All four of those things are so 
vitally important for our overall well-being, our body, our mind, our spirit. And and Dr. Hammer, I want to ask you this because this 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 popped into my mind as you were explaining those things, and I tried to put myself into, let's say, a patient is sitting in the chair in front of your desk, and you're going to have to deliver some news that may, maybe they're not going to want to hear. And there's going to be this instant defeat or instant negativity that comes into them. What can a health professional like a medical doctor or a specialist, what can they do to, I don't want to say lessen the blow. It's really not a good term here. Um, how can they use this type of program or, or gain to maybe uh, help the patient on the other side that they're going to treat, but at the same time, you know, there's going to be a little bit of uh, negative news coming their way. I mean, did that make any sense? No, it makes, or I may absolutely, not be explaining that, that absolutely makes sense. And, you know, when I decided I wanted to do intensive care medicine for children, I knew I was making a commitment to being surrounded by very difficult and often tragic situations. And I figured if this is going to be my profession, I better deal with it head on and learn to accept it. And so many times I have patients who are unlikely to survive. They're on a ventilator, they have overwhelming pneumonia, or they may have congenital abnormalities that uh, have led to uh, a very dire condition. And they're in the intensive care unit and there's really not much we can do other than support the child and the family. And I think what we can do as healers, as healthcare professionals, sometimes is simply to be present with the family. So we need to be straight and honest with them. I think people are very sensitive and, and tend to pick up on uh, wordsmithing. You know, if we try to lessen the blow by our words, I think that is often counterproductive. And so my strategy is to be very straight out with the family and simply to try to be present myself. So before I walk into the room in the intensive care unit, I may pause at the door and remember that for which I'm grateful and the pain and suffering that is something we must accept. And so I go through this gain uh, algorithm, if you will, before entering the room. And that helps me be present and be a good listener. And that's often what we have to offer. And uh, if we try to sugarcoat it or talk around it, usually the family picks up on that and it's not productive. So I think uh, we need to assess the circumstances and accept them and and be present with them and be present with the patient and their family. Yeah, it's almost uh, it's almost like ripping off the Band-Aid. Um, sometimes you just have to, you know, I, you know, I can't even imagine from the doctor's point of view, the doctor's perspective of having to, you know, walk into the room to deliver news that they don't want, you know, that, you know, that they didn't want to ever have to tell the family. And I can't imagine you being in pediatric care and the patient's actually a child, but you have to relay that news to the actual parents. And so 
from the patient's point of view, I mean, and, it, and it's strange, ladies and gentlemen, you, sometimes you need to put yourself in the position of both sides. You know, think of what the doctor's uh, having to do. Think of what the patient is going to hear. And doctor, you know, where does compassion work within this realm, knowing that, especially where you're at with pediatric care, the parents feel like they may not have, you know, there's a loss of, there's a loss of control where they don't have anything to hold on to. Yes. Yes. There's faith. And, and I believe in that. And I know that even in medical science, miracles still happen today. And I've heard stories from doctors who have told me, you know, we've never even imagined that so-and-so would ever recover from this. Um, so I know there's those stories, but where does compassion work in from your side when you have to deliver the news? Because there's not really that way of, you know, lessening the blow, so to speak. Sure. Well, I think um, compassion is essential. I think that if we are present, we automatically have compassion. Um, I think, mm -hmm. you know, it's the realization that we're all made of the same stuff. We're all connected. Um, but if you think of focusing on your gratitude and you think of allowing and accepting the pain and suffering in the world and intentionally being present and being a good listener and responding to what you're really hearing in the present moment from the family and, and being non-judgmental. So, um, you know, we don't necessarily have to affix labels of good and bad, even in tragic circumstances, things are the way they are. And that's acceptance is we do need to discern between what we can change and what we cannot change as the serenity prayer would, would teach us. And yes. what we cannot change, we must accept. And so there's a lot of that in the intensive care unit. There are situations, uh, despite all of the wonders of modern medicine, that are dire. And uh, the patient, the child in my case, is not going to survive. And, and we need to really open our hearts to that and accept it. And I think by doing so, compassion is, is sort of automatic in a way. Um, yeah. I think if we're truly present, accepting, non-judgmental, uh, this means that we we feel the bond between ourselves and, and the patient and the patient's family and um, are pretty much automatically compassionate. So compassion is obviously uh, a key element of relating to other people and finding peace and happiness in life and certainly in the practice of medicine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you this because... Um, because your book's title does address healthcare professionals, but ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Hammer's book, I believe is made for all of us to read and partake of and put these things into practice. Doctor, what is the definite definition of burnout? Because in the last, let's say it in the last 18 months, especially with healthcare professionals, they have been inundated with more and more things to be aware of, to do, you know, I, I know in medicine, the long hours never seem to cease. So overall, what is the definition of burnout? And then how do you help other healthcare professionals overcome it? Great question. Um, burnout is, I think, simply defined as 
emotional and physical exhaustion related to chronic stress. And, you know, we talk about stress as an acute or chronic phenomenon. Acutely, say we're, uh, we have people over at our house, there's a swimming pool, and a toddler falls in the swimming pool. What happens is we become aware of that. We have a response in our bodies. There's a surge of adrenaline or epinephrine. There's an increase in cortisol, which increases our blood sugar. These actually help us prepare to remedy the situation, perhaps to jump in the pool and, and rescue the toddler. So those are adaptive responses to acute stress. But when that stress lasts for days, weeks, months, or even longer, that chronic stress has a number of very deleterious effects on our bodies and our minds. For example, it uh, causes a chronic increase in the adrenaline in our bodies, which is bad for our heart, our blood vessels. It's bad for our immune system. It interferes with our sleep, of course. We all know that we don't sleep as well when we're experiencing chronic stress. We're fatigued, and then we tend not to exercise as regularly. Our diet tends to suffer. We pick up sugary processed or so-called comfort foods, which are, are fatty and unhealthy. So this is a kind of a self-propagating cycle related to chronic stress. And certainly there's a lot of chronic stress in the world these days. Um, but I think even uh, during the best of times, life is stressful. And so we need ways to deal with that stress. And, and that's what the GAIN approach is really all about. It's about being present. And these are the, the tools that I think are very helpful for, for being present. You know, Ward, when we're present, we're happy. So if you think about the happiest times in your life, say you're having an intimate moment with a loved one, or you're taking a hike in a forest and, and enjoying the light filtering down from the canopy of leaves at the top of the trees, and you're just feeling united, you're feeling one with nature, those are times when you're not worried about what happened yesterday or what's going to happen tomorrow. You are right there, right then, and that's happiness. And the, the, the key to dealing with chronic stress is to, through intention, bringing our thought process back to the present moment, which, when you think about it, is really the only moment we ever truly experience. So I think that is, uh, that's what mindfulness is all about. I think that's what gain is all about. It, it's, it's bringing ourselves back to the present moment. Because when we're stressed, we're often in a maladaptive way overly focused on the future and what might happen. And with our negativity bias, we tend to catastrophize and think of the worst thing that may happen. And most of the time, that's not something that's healthy or adaptive. Right. And, and you know, and I've always heard the saying, you know, 90% of the things we worry about never happen. Yes. And you know, the things that you were explaining, I mean, like right now I'm thinking, you know, after my interview with you, I feel like going outside and taking my shoes off and go stand barefoot in the grass and just enjoy the sun, the sunny day, you know, and, and you're right. It's the moment that we think about, you know, when, when, th when we feel happy, we, we feel gratitude. And I think one of, in the four areas of gain, my gosh, they are so vitally important. And I think it's those things. And, and again, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about gratitude. We're talking about acceptance. We're talking about intention. 
that that's a verb, ladies and gentlemen. You need to, to be have intention here, and then non-judgmental. And I think, doctor, that especially with gratitude, um, we need to be thankful. You know, my mother-in-law has always told me this: put some gratitude in your attitude. <laughs> and okay. I think that uh, more and more, yeah, more people need to be doing that because I think you know it's you've really brought it to light. And I've never realized that uh, that we do lean towards negativity. Of course, I know there's so many f- negative forces out there that just inundate everybody. Like you said, anywhere from, you know, what's going on in the present, in our own local community, in the nation, on a global scale, the, the 24-hour news cycle. And some of us need to just realize to put that smartphone down and turn it off. Mm. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard, I've, I've heard experts tell me that, you know, put the smartphone down, turn it off and go spend 72 hours camping to reset your brain. And I'm thinking, you know, that would, that would, for some, that's going to be, uh, almost feel like they're going to be in a padded room trying to grab for a smartphone. that's not there. <laughs> yeah, no. I think some, some people, I think their cortisol levels will go sky high if they couldn't be, couldn't, wouldn't be able to reach for that smartphone. Sure. But, uh, sometimes you got to break that cycle, but let me ask you this because I know that you're a pediatric doctor, but you, you put the thought in my head that if with a physician, especially, and, and you were bringing up, and talking about chronic stress and chronic stress causes so many different elements within our, within our body. It can chronic stress weakens our immune system. It can weaken our cardiovascular system as well as our hormonal health. Are doctors more apt to ask the patient if there's a disruption in any of these three areas to say, are you experiencing stress? Are you experiencing chronic stress and to possibly link that to those systems to help the doctor treat that patient more effectively? Oh, absolutely. I think that especially primary care physicians who are sort of on the front line of the long-term care of the patient, uh, absolutely ask those questions. I think that the tripod, if you will, are the three elements that really support our physical well-being, our sleep, exercise, and nutrition. So again, and when we get off the rails in any of these areas, it tends to propagate uh, uh, a path whereby they're all compromised. So our sleep, our exercise, and our nutrition are really linked. Um, So uh, certainly uh, an internist or a pediatrician or a family practice physician uh, will generally have a discussion about patients uh, with their patients about their sleep, about whether they're getting regular exercise, about their diet. And I think these things have become more of an area of focus over time, fortunately. So, you know, there is a movement toward being more mindful. Certainly uh, healthy eating has become front and center for for most of us. Um, Likewise with exercise and sleep. And, you know, I think especially during the pandemic, uh, there's been an acknowledgement that these things are all compromised and a renewed focus on those fundamental aspects of our long-term health. Yeah. And they're the three most important for long-term health. And yeah, especially during the pandemic, doctor, uh, 
you know, everybody had a choice. You know, you probably heard the same stories I heard. People, you know, were like, well, I took advantage of the pandemic and I lost weight. I got into better shape. Um, others, they sat around eating the wrong foods and gained weight, didn't exercise and laid around and didn't do anything. So everybody had a choice to go one way or the other. Um, what did you actually see on your side of things? Well, you know, I don't know. My, my practice really is, is limited to taking care of critically ill infants and children and also uh, uh, providing anesthesia during, during major surgery. So I'm not quite on the front line with respect to sleep, exercise, and nutrition related to my patients, other than I certainly focus on those things when I'm caring for kids in the intensive care unit. Um, I have a degree in nutritional science, so that's always been an important part of my practice. But I think you're right. I think that some people have, uh, in an adaptive manner, taken advantage of the fact they're not wasting time commuting to work, and they have the ability to really focus on their personal health and their sleep, exercise, and nutrition. But it's it's been challenging, I think, for for many, many people. Um, just because of the, the chronic stress involved and the uncertainty uh, with respect to the pandemic. So, I, you know, again, I think that these are things that we can refocus on. And the key word, I think, is baby steps. So we're not going to go from not being a runner at all to running a marathon in a week. We have to have low expectations in a way and not judge ourselves, which is the most difficult thing for many of us, and just move ahead with very, very small incremental steps. So a three-minute gain meditation first thing in the morning, very simple, get up three minutes earlier than you might otherwise, set your intention along with your alarm clock the night before for that three minutes earlier than usual. Um, with regard to exercise, if you're not exercising at all, start with a walk around the block once or twice a day, and then just gradually go from there. And if you just take baby steps, you're not going to fail. And after three to six months, you're going to look back and realize how much progress you've made, whether it's becoming more mindful and present using the gain approach, for example, whether it's sleep hygiene, exercise and diet, uh, baby steps. And, and let's not be too hard on ourselves, small steps, and we'll get to where we want to go eventually. Yeah, I, I like that, especially when it comes to, um, nutrition i always tell people that want to change the way that they they've been eating and to move towards a, a healthier eating lifestyle is to start with the first meal of the day get that one corrected uh be faithful to it so if you if you uh, been eating a sugary uh caffeine laden breakfast and you're going to do something healthier and natural you know i always tell people to focus on that get it part of your routine because you know eating healthy is not a diet it's a lifestyle mm. and then once that becomes part of your day part of your routine then you move on to lunch and then eventually taking those slower steps then you're going to find out that uh, like you said three six months down the road you're eating healthy at every meal you don't think twice about it uh it was kind of funny i was talking to an expert uh last week about dieting and how people go on a diet and the first thing they do is they think about food all the time. 
And, and I think there's a way to overcome that. And that's just taking one day at a time, one meal at a time. And I think you've said it, taking those small, uh, steps now, actually with sleep exercise, and of course, diet, these are the remedies for burnout. I think we have to look at our physical bodies and our emotional and spiritual cells as well. And so I think sleep, exercise, and nutrition are the, are the three elements that form the tripod to support our physical well-being. And gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment are the four pillars that support our emotional and spiritual well-being. And of course, these are intimately connected. They're not really separate, but as a way of kind of compartmentalizing our thoughts, we can think of taking care of our physical selves and our spiritual selves. And so, yes, they're, they're linked. And I like the approach that you elaborated on with regard to focusing first on your breakfast and then lunch and then dinner. Um, and similarly with our spiritual health, just say, focus on gratitude. Um, do a gratitude journal if that's something that you would find helpful. And then move on to acceptance, et cetera, and, and just take baby steps. So, um, yes, I really like that approach. Well, you know what? Uh, I, I love that, especially the part of starting your day off with gratitude. You know, we should always find one thing. And, and like you said, wake, set your alarm clock three minutes earlier than normal, get up, take those three minutes. And I think the first thing we should all be doing is finding those things in our life, in our family, in our career, whatever we're doing, and to find something that we can be grateful for and focus on those things. And I think that starts to shift our our mind, bodies, and spirits away from the negativity or the or what I or what you would call the negative bias. I actually I love that term, negative bias, to so where we can start shifting it towards a more positive bias. And I think everything starts with gratitude. Um, you had said something of when it comes to the comes to gain. And I know that we have talked about acceptance. We talked about intention, but I think one of the things that a lot of people don't uh, think about that you mention in your book because of what gain uh, stands for is to be more non-judgmental. What are some of the things that we can do right now to help ourselves to become more non-judgmental? First of all, I think it's important to recognize the way we think. So when we find ourselves being very negative in our attitude, we can learn to kind of catch ourselves. Oh yes, I'm, I'm thinking harshly about this person. I'm judging this person. When you recognize it and you've embraced the principles of being non-judgmental, then you can catch yourself and kind of have a laugh and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being judgmental. And, and you can sort of reroute your approach and drop the judgment. You know, for example, I ride my bike to the medical center and uh, I pass through a narrow lane, which is covered with beautiful uh, flora and the light is filtering through the leaves at the top of the trees in the, in the morning in general. And I'm riding my bike through this lane and I come across a person on foot who's walking in the same direction I'm riding. And 
I notice they're kind of in the middle of the, the lane and I'm not going to be able to get by them easily. And then as I get a little closer, I realize they have buds in their ears. And then I notice they're looking at their screen and I'm wondering, why are you looking at your screen when you're walking through this beautiful patch of nature? And then I catch myself. I realize, you know, I'm judging this person. And I laugh and I recognize that I did my gain meditation that morning and recognize the importance of being non-judgmental. And so I laugh at myself for forming these judgments. And when I pass the person on my bike, I look at them and I smile and they look up to me and they smile. And lo and behold, sort of an unpleasant interaction became a pleasant interaction. And it's that little dopamine hit perhaps that I get from that, that just reinforces the importance of being non-judgmental. So I think the first thing to do is recognize how important non-judgment is. And then the second thing is notice when we're being judgmental. Notice when we're driving home from work and somebody ahead of us changes lanes in front of us without using their turn signal. Notice the response that that gets from us. And once we notice it, let go of that judgment. You know, that could have been us. Maybe we've done that from time to time. And just drop the judgment. And I think we'll all notice it. We feel a little bit better having dropped that judgment. And so, again, that's the key, I think, is one little judgment at a time. The importance of noticing the way our mind is working, recognizing that it's maladaptive, and then having a sense of humor and just dropping that judgmental thought. And that provides a positive feedback, which will encourage us to do that again the next time the circumstance arises. Well, you know, it's funny because that's a, that is a learning experience. And, and, I'm, and I'm glad that you, you put in there to kind of laugh about it. Because I think then that means that we've become fully self-aware and that we can say, okay, let me not do that again. You know, it's a teach, it's a teaching moment where you're teaching yourself. So here you are coming and and I can literally picture the way you explained it. Here's this person standing in the middle of, I mean, walking in the middle of the path. I'm a cyclist. So I know how people are. They have their earbuds in, they're looking at their phone And in the split second, we want to be, we want to show judgment, but when we, when we take the time to realize that, you know, that person with the earbuds in could have been listening to a song that maybe their spouse sent them and said, Hey, I was thinking of you. And this is, remember, this was our favorite song. And maybe that's what they were listening to. Maybe they were reading a text from a a loved one to, to wish them a great day. And then we come up behind them on a bicycle and basically want to push them out of the way. But, uh, but I think it's, it's, it's an absolute perfect teachable moment and to be self-aware and not to be judgmental. I think we have so much judgment in the world today that if each one of us, Dr. Hammer and ladies and gentlemen, for all of you listening to uh, this interview with Dr. Greg Hammer, if we just take the time to be self-aware, think about other people then we can become less judgmental because look, the old saying says, you know, love makes the world go around and we need more of that. And you can't judge people if you learn to love them. And that's something that we all need to do. 
And uh, Dr. Hammer, uh, where can all of my listeners uh, get your book, Gain Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals? And ladies and gentlemen, this is a book for all of us. So where can we uh, find find your book? Sure. Well, I, my website is greghammermd.com, G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D.com. And there's lots of media there and uh, lots of little interesting tidbits and a link to the book, which is on Amazon. So you could also go directly to Amazon and just search uh, Greg Hammer, Gang Without Pain, and, and the book will show up there. Well, any, any, um, any last thoughts you'd like to share with all of us today? Ward, I'm grateful for the invitation and uh, loved having the interaction with you and would love to do it again sometime. Uh, absolutely. I, I've learned quite a bit from you, Dr. Hammer, and I know that the rest of the day, hopefully to, after today as well, to be very mindful to show more gratitude. So ladies and gentlemen, let's, let's do a quick summary. Cause I don't want you to forget this. So gain. So every, every morning you wake up, make sure you wake up three minutes early, start practicing that find something to be grateful for as Dr. Hammer has, uh, shared with us today, put gratitude in your attitude and also, um, acceptance, uh, Dr. Hammer, one more last thing. Cause when it came to acceptance, wouldn't it be very important for all of us to just kind of start a daily journal and to write everything down? So that kind of helps to mold our path going forward? Absolutely. I think journaling is very helpful for many people. I'm a little bit lazy when it comes to that. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm someone who embraces the, the, the right thoughts, but I don't necessarily write them down. But certainly if that if that's helpful and something that people can do, I think it's a great idea. I love that. And ladies and gentlemen, also to remember uh, intention. This is to simply rewire our brains away from that negative bias that Dr. Hammer has shared with us today. Uh, also to practice being present, which is where happiness lives. And of course, be more non-judgmental. This is something that you'll have to think about throughout the day with your interactions with others. Any type of thought that pops into your head, you know, kind of go through that thought and think, okay, am I judging this person unfairly? Well, probably most of the time we are. So uh, let's take these things. Let's use them for uh, worldly good and to uh, love one another as we are called to do. And again, Dr. Hammer, thank you so much for being on the show. And again, ladies and gentlemen, go to greghammermd.com. And to find his, to, to get his book also available on Amazon, Gain Without Pain. That's all you need to know. And uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening. And again, thank you, Dr. Hammer, for your time and for sharing us your wealth of knowledge and uh, helping us to be more mindful uh, on the path forward. Thank you, Ward. It's been a great pleasure being with you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, remember to catch every episode of Life-Changing Wellness. Just hit subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And if I can ask you a question or ask you a favor, please take 30 seconds and rate the show on iTunes. I want to thank you for doing that for me as we want to bring you the best show possible. Just look up Dr. Bond's Life-Changing Wellness on any streaming service. You can look learn more about me at drwardbond.com. And again, 
Thank you for listening to Life Changing Wellness. We are known as a different kind of wellness show. And remember, something spectacular happens when you treat your body right. Have a blessed day, everyone.